Hello and welcome back to the Farmer and Smurfit podcast. I'm Tommy Mead from County Mead and in a week where we've had to, well, appreciate what the UK have done in terms of their vaccine rollout. They have, well, they've quite well rolled it out. You know, they went high risk, high reward and it's paid off. Um, it's similar to what we were sort of doing this week in terms of strategy and I was actually listening to someone from Israel and Israel off the charts in terms of their vaccine rollout but he was sort of saying how they have a good relationship with Pfizer and that it has sort of created a sense of urgency because they're performing so well people are willing to take the vaccine because it's seen as the thing to do and when it's everything's performing so well people are putting in extra time they're extra motivated and all that sort of stuff and you can see how the strategy works in both senses you know it's not just about your plan but also what can feed off that and I suppose that's what we're talking about as well today in terms of strategy in Pakistan and a chicken food company in Pakistan called K&N Family Company and how the rise of the Muslims who are meant to be around a third of the world's population in a number of years which is mad to say the least um I I was shocked when I heard that but that sort of seen that as a huge big global market to take part of because it's not being met at the moment and maybe that's an opportunity for our Irish sheep and lamb farming because you know a large percentage of that goes out to Muslim and Islamic areas in France and other countries and yeah so so whether that's something big that'll come down the line anyway what happened to me at the start of this week as well was that I was brought in to chat to the UCD debating team well I wasn't really brought in I was on zoom so we were meeting all covid regulations there and well it's not even the team really they're having their heats at the moment and I was fortunate to represent UCD in 2018-2020, just before, I think it was about two weeks before the lockdown, we were up in Queen's University, Belfast. It was actually the first day there was a COVID case in Belfast. I don't know if you remember about this woman, and um, she arrived in Dublin Airport, and then there was talk that she get the train, and it was the one time I got the train to Belfast, and she ends up getting the train to Belfast, and I was like, oh, I bet you we were on the same carriage. But, um... Lucky enough, I don't think I've got COVID yet, right? But um, we were lucky with that. Um, we got to represent que- up in Queens. Quite a posh affair. Now, in 2018, it was down in Waterford and it was way more. The students were involved. They were shouting. There was a crowd and you could feed off it, you know. And that's a massive part of that debating. Um, oh, and why, why I'm actually sort of doing this talk now um, is because... And today I've had six hours of lectures, so if I get a bit drowsy and a bit off focus, don't blame me because we've had six hours of lectures today because tomorrow I'm meeting my enterprise group, the entrepreneur group, and for the first time, and we're going to be discussing, you know, problems to solve and what we can do. And I'll talk a bit about that in a minute, but getting back to the debating um, yeah, so it was down in Waterford and you could feed off the crowd. But yeah, so I was brought in to chat to the people, the hopefuls to represent UCD in the Great Agri-Food Debate. And I started giving them my advice because I'm not. And it was interesting because I was listening to people and they were saying, oh, you know, it's great opportunity to uh, 
express yourself and all this sort of stuff. I was thinking, Janie, man, you know, um, and I, I was sort of on about how Arnold O'Hanlon actually started off doing debate. He's also known as Dougal, but he, he was in, I think it was DCU, and he, I remember listening to him and he said, you know, he said he went to go debating because he said he just have the crack and he enjoyed the entertaining and you know, engaging with people. So that's a massive part I was telling them. You know, it's not about having all your facts and figures and all this sort of stuff. You know, that's important. And it's important to know your stuff in case they come with information at you that you can respond and that people know you're well-rounded and understand stuff. But, and I, I, to be honest, I actually learned more from that, I felt, than my actual undergrad because your undergrad, it's all about nearly, you know, just writing down what you're learning off stuff. But it's more about having your opinion. And I think that's, isn't it? Almost like an MBA in a way, you know? And like what we're doing here, we're having our chat, we're discussing, you know? As I just say, you know, don't come here to be educated, you know? Because if you want that, go pick up a book and read a book. Because we're just here, we're just chatting, we're having the mindless wanderings of a farmer in Smurfit, as if we're in the corridors of Smurfit, that's what I say. Um, just the mindless wanderings, stuff that can talk about. I'm not bringing all this damn detailed little border hell out of you. And, and that's a bit why I don't have a guest. I remember I was talking about whether I'd bring in a guest or not, because I felt, you know, will it get too in-depth? Will it get too... Um, so focused that it just bores the hell out. Like, how are you going to remember all that sort of stuff? You know, unless you're writing it down and actually that's what you're coming. But no, we're just here to chat, you know. So I started thinking to myself, what to do? Um, I'd love to get like a co-host type of thing. So someone that could just chat and not take things too serious. You know, just play a bit like devil's advocate, you know, a bit of conversation, a bit of banter and, or whatever. So if, if you think you know a person that'd be suitable, you know, put them in contact with me or whatever and we'll test it out. Um, But I, I just didn't want it to become a... Uh, like a book I didn't want that I just want the chat I want to have that mindless wanderings the yander the goosey gander as such but yeah but in a way that was what the debating was like for me I felt you know and and this is what I was explaining to the students it's so much more about building a connection and because you're you're trying to sell your opinion or you're trying to say that the other team's opinion is wrong and don't buy it buy buy our idea and you know people trust and trust and um credibility i think they are the two main things rather than facts because if you like the person and you're friendly with the person you're more inclined to buy it it's, it's same with if what's the best thing for buying a new slurry spreader or anything it's that your neighbor has one you know um, and then therefore you trust it because well if they have one you know, well I feel like it's quite a credible thing you know and that's why I was sort of trying to say to them you know it's all about building a connection and I know that little fella from France I heard a quote about him um, Napoleon is it and he said how uh, the only information that matters a damn or is worth salt is the information that's repeated because that's the only thing people remember you know and now, you can imagine where other people say that, yeah, we've heard a lot about fake news and all that sort of stuff. But either way, you know, if you keep saying stuff enough, even though you might think it's a lie, 
it gradually wears in on people. And that's why you have to be prepared and all these, you know, anti-vaccination crowds and that, you know, they come out quick and they come out early. And like they say, there's almost as much about anti-vaccination as there is about anything else online. Now, I don't know. I'm only I'm only hearing what I'm saying. So so don't take that as literate either. But, um, no, I thought that was interesting. And even how companies like... Uh, want to have their trust like you often see Facebook is blue Twitter is blue even Pfizer is blue Zoom is blue and when you go into your bathroom nearly every bottle or shampoo or anything has a blue Unilever blue or green because that's a colour people symbolise with trust and symbolise with natural you know because they feel you know it's all about getting that emotional response and then the rationale response so that's how people work you know we're not all economists we're you know behavioral creatures as such you know so that's that was a massive part of what i was trying to get across and and i'm actually meant to be um uh doing a judge with them over the next couple of weeks so that'll be interesting we're going to have a few boot camps see how we go back because it's going to be on zoom this year so how does that work? Um, it'd be interesting. How do you strategize? I often find, you know, you need a, a, someone that you will look at and go, oh, all their information must be correct because they have that person. Then you need a bit of entertainment because it can get boring and then you need someone to sex it up. Like when you go to, a, a, when, you're at, when you're at a beauty thing or anything, it's all about, or a pharmacy out and it's all these good looking people because that's what sells, you know good luck cells or sex cells is what to say hopefully you can't hear the dog barking i don't know what he's barking at it's because it's late at night and he's just barking down i don't know um i don't know Ho- hopefully he'll be quiet i don't know if you can hear it but anyhow we'll keep going here we stop oh there he is anyhow and this is staying unedited uncut because it's just the mindless wanderings and it'd be too much effort for me but what was interesting was about the enterprise was we're in a group of four and we're actually there's three of us from Mead and it didn't have that diversity that Richard Curran talked about to me and I was on about last week how almost a third of people in Dragon's Den were from different countries but lucky enough we have a Indian on our group and what I felt was good is because they bring something new you know and It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Because, you know, and it's funny. What I think is really funny. on about policy and good policy and bad policy. And uh, we were on about Marcus Radford last week and even CAP. We touched off CAP. But we went more into CAP this week because someone from the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine, DAFM, DAFM, came in. And now they're a civil servant. So I'm not going to name them or whatever because they work for a government organisation or whatever. And it might not be named. But anyhow, they were so... Uh, and when you think we have so many international students from China, Asia, um, New York, around Europe, everywhere, India, in our course, and we were on about CAP. And I was thinking, we said, Janie Mac, them out Irish people that don't understand CAP, and these are meant to understand CAP. But what was interesting was, you see, CAP's one of the most biggest subsidy things around policy. And, and it's been for years and it keeps changing with the times, you know, to be involved and, and to, to actually be worth its salt. And actually, 
one thing we done in the debate, and I remember my first ever debate was about whether camp was good value for money. Good value for money. Like, and, and we felt we we're going to get nailed because they'll pick up inefficiencies and things that didn't work and how they wanted to do certain thing and that didn't happen. And what we ended up doing was tackling the word good. You know, we were saying, you know, good isn't great. You know, it's okay. Like, like what they're doing is grand. Like, it could be better, but it's good. So that's, and that's even a bit of like strategy of how to come up and battle with the debate. You know, the word of it and how do you reach people. But anyhow, and, and that's what a large part of our course was about this week was about the policy and, and how that was created and like it's simple like it was created because of after the war there was a lot of food poverty and needed food security and um i think it was around the 50s and 60s and that like made so much sense now it was overdone then later on and you had milk lakes and meat mountains and wine lakes and cheese butter mountains and all this sort of stuff because it was overproducing that but at the end the cap keeps evolving and like even now i do think it's funny farmers get persecuted for not being green not being environmental yeah so much of their wage and subsidies comes in the aspect of looking after the environment they're the gatekeepers of the environment now i'm not saying everyone's perfect but like that is a massive part of what their payment actually is. And in a way, it's somewhat good. You could say it's somewhat wrong that so much of the wage comes from subsidies. And But maybe it's so important. Like the five main aims for what the subsidies and the cap was about was, you know, increase productivity, make sure farmers had a fair standard of living, uh, make sure there was sustainable markets, make sure there was a good supply and make sure our food was affordable for all. You know, that sounds fair. It was all about keeping balanced. And, but especially this year, right? There was the common, um, the European Commission put out a survey this year and they wanted to see how people are, how people feel about the cap. Because, you know, it's all about public uh, opinion and that as well. And they actually found that the uh, amount people rate the cap went up serious this year. That I did, and one of the main questions that caught me was that uh, are the benefits just for farmers or for everyone? And that increased by 20%. That people felt, you know, it's not just for farmers. This helps everyone. It went up from like 62 or 3 up to like 79%. You know, massive increase, and that's that's quite a high figure. So it's great. Um, people think it has done well, and a large reason for that this year was because we seen empty shelves and they got filled. You know, um, people got over panicked and bought up. But like the agriculture and the food industry, you know, yeah, okay, it was hit by serious fluctuation and demand. But it rose to the challenge and realistically there hasn't really been an issue in terms of that. Now, playing devil's advocate, has New Zealand had any issue either? You you know, like, they have no subsidies. They decided to get rid of them. And if you t- chat to people down there, especially in the agricultural industry, they'll say, right, OK, it was tough at first, but now we have more innovation. We are better entrepreneurs in the food industry. And they count what they do is really effective and really good. So that's an interesting aspect. Like what CAP are trying to do is all green now and bring in young people 
Now, is that working? You know, that's a huge thing. Like, there's no point in putting money into something and pumping millions and then it not doing it and sure that was a waste. It's like a, what would you say, an energy efficient light bulb. It's a bit dim, but you know, you wouldn't change it. Well, maybe you should if it's not working at all. But, you know, like, I think it is somewhat. But it's amazing the amount of criticism farmers do get. Yet, so much of their income. Like, there's farms around the country. An awful lot of farms. You know, bar dairy and tillage, I think the majority of sheep and cattle farms actually lose money. It's the subsidy that makes any income. So it's interesting that the biggest payment they get is actually for from CAP, which is mainly looking after the environment. So I, I think it's amazing in a way. But So I, well, I won't get too involved in that because I'm only chatting, you know. And then we were on about strategy. And we were on about this food company and it was KNN in Pakistan. And this is where it's interesting as well, having international students. Because they were talking about wet markets. Now, i never seen a wet market. My father would talk about wet market, but he's a different generation. He could be a, a couple of different generations. He did well. He was an older man. But, um, and, and they'd go to the market and they could pick out what chicken they want to have and it'd be slaughtered there in front of them. And they could bring it home then and cook it. And they really felt, you know, this is long fresher and they felt it's long better. And I was amazed by this. You know, imagine all the health issues and that sort of stuff. And like, there is, like I don't want to say, you know, contradict them as such, but I, I would think now, you'd think, especially them studying in UCD, that they'd be more thinking maybe this cleaner version is a better version. But no, this is the same way they think. Now, not saying no, I'm not saying all, but there is there is a change towards a more Western production system. But that's what Kia and then done. They brought in a Western production system into Pakistan back, oh, like 40, 50 plus years ago, where they completely owned the whole vertical integration. They went the whole way from hatching eggs, producing the chicken, production, and then selling it on, that they owned the whole line. And that was their whole thing. This is this is this is what separates them to anyone else, right? When you look at, when we chatted about Nestle, last week and how they became the masters of uh, producing and selling and then they became the masters of building a brand and that's what they offered you that when you went into a shop you knew the Nestle brand is the brand that it is the best and that's what you're buying but for KNN chicken it was all about when you buy our product you're buying something safe and if you, you Get have a KNN chicken in front of you, you can be damn sure that it is going to be safe to eat and it's going to be clean. You know, that was their whole thing. And they felt the only way they could do that in a developing country was by owning the whole integration, owning the whole lot, even from what they feed the hens the whole way to laying the eggs to breeding. And they actually increased breeding, they moved more to a Western scientific. But they even had to keep their cash cow as such. They still sold into uh, wet markets because that's where the Pakistani people... So was was that right? You know, maybe they moved too quickly. You know, they were supplying something that wasn't really wanted. But they, they were waiting for the government to, you know, bring in regulation and move that way. 
and they're, they're still somewhat waiting for that to happen because they now this report was written in 2011 or whatever that we were analysing but like they had pumped so much money into this yet their share was still quite low because they were producing especially frozen chicken and prepared foods in a country where there was so much unrest and not even electricity in some places and there could be electricity cutouts so therefore someone might decide right I'll buy these frozen chickens and they get home and they start defrosting well they don't have to cook them you know they can't just keep storing them so KNN had to end up investing in terms of freezers for transportation they bought freezers for retailers now one massive thing they got in was uh, KFC came to Pakistan and that seems to be a huge aspect when KFC came to China KFC seemed to be the quick mover in terms of getting into a developing country and that seems to be a sign that a country is on the way up and they got that and, and that helped our brand you know that meant you know this is a product that big international companies trust and how KNN done that was because people wanted to see their uh, chicken kilt in front of them KNN had to start branding and showing what they're doing in terms of production but it still wasn't really working and you'd really feel you know it's uh, an ideal thing for exporting now the only issue was Pakistan couldn't export till 2011 but they still haven't even started really exporting um, so it's interesting eh, to see what their long term goal is like, like they've become the masters in terms of operation but but are they moving forward if, if they were a different company it'd be interesting now the only thing is they have no debt that was KNN's big thing. They invest back into themselves. You know, that they, whatever they have, it's paid for. They don't, and maybe a large part of that is governmental. Because maybe in an area where you mightn't trust necessarily banks and that sort of stuff, maybe they couldn't take on that risk. And maybe that's why they can't get out of Pakistan and grow. But, Another huge aspect they have is the rise of the Muslims, especially in Halal, that this predicting of a third of the population to be Muslim, especially in Western areas. They're expecting that them to be real wealthy uh, Muslim population and that Halal will skyrocket in terms of demand. Now, in terms of price, you'd imagine that also goes with it. And maybe that'll help our lamb industry here in Ireland. Because I remember I, I worked in a sheep factory and for four months. And it was some experience. Especially the amount of every part of lamb that's been used and being sent off to different countries. And how they respect that halal process. You know, whether you think it's right or wrong, there's a demand for it. And, and that's... You know, so getting to our enterprise... It's trying to find that. It's trying to find that problem and trying to solve that problem. Um, I know I'm waiting on a book currently. I don't know if I mentioned it last week, but it's called The Lean Startup. And it was Eric Rice that, uh, or Reese that wrote it. And it's interesting that, that what they're focused on is what companies done wrong and how they can adapt and change and evolve. And I suppose the big thing for an entrepreneur is the fact that you may be lacking in certain resources 
you know, whether it's finance, whether it's expertise or in a certain area. And it's how do you adapt to all that. And it, what was interesting was I was watching a video of the founders of Instagram. And there were two college mates and they created a platform that they felt, you know, it'd be cool if we could just send photos of perfect dimensions to each other or whatever. And they started creating different things. And now it wasn't Instagram and they trialed it out because that that seems to be the number one goal. Because even listening to Eric Rice on an interview, um, he was on about how he worked with different companies. And they spent millions, you know, getting ready to launch a new product or a new marketing campaign. And he said, have you made a prototype and have you launched it? And they said, no, no, we're we're waiting for this day and we're making, we're spending millions. And And he was saying, well, okay, if if you think it's going to work, well, why not trial it? And they were like, no, 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 well, we have this deadline. And he was saying, look, if you're so certain it's going to work, and I believe you, Sure, what's the harm in just giving it a little trial? If it works, at least we know we're on to a winner and we're, we don't have that in the question. And if it doesn't, at least we're going to save a few weeks and potentially a lot of money. So that seems to be a massive thing, you know, trying like getting your feedback because that seems to be an issue is that, you know, some people have the idea, but it takes a long time for them to actually hear back the issues consumers have. You know, it's how can you get that response back quicker? You know, and that's part of the Lean Startup. And actually someone that uh, worked with the Lean Startup and they mentioned the progress of creating a business. And this, this is where we are, you know. This is where we are when we meet up tomorrow as a group and we're going to be thinking of new ideas and new problems that we can solve. And it's about having empathy. It's not about pitching an idea it's about going to our users so who do we think is going to sell it? who's who's going to buy it and asking them you know what are their challenges you know who's our audience and what matters to them it's like even these three questions it's, you know you know what's going on and how, how are things and and why is that and, and that's where then you can create from because i come from an agricultural background um and there's things I might necessarily bring from uh, something else. Like if someone from a technology background came to work on farm or food industry, they might bring something new. And in the same way, someone from an agricultural background going into a food industry, just giving something different. And they might offer something new. But you have to understand, you know, what, what are the challenges? And there's the big role of empathy. You know, it's, it's what the designer thinks. So if you imagine a big bubble, what the designer thinks? And then what does the user want? What's the challenges the user has? And that's another big bubble. Well, if you, there's only going to be a small bit that actually joins. It's like a big Venn diagram. And you're trying to find that bit in the middle. And that's the empathy. That's the bit that links the two of them. You know, and that's, that's where the, that great idea then comes from. Because you know you have something of value. You know you have something that consumers want. And... Actually, the person that wrote, uh, lectured, the person that, the author of the Lean Startup was uh, Mr. Steve Blank. And he was on about the different types of businesses. And even they were mentioning that a lot of people, it's not from what they did Monday to Friday. It's what they did in the weekend is where their business came from. It was that lifestyle. And that's where it comes from. 
you know, for a large amount of people, and you wake up thinking, oh, this is, this is almost like an art rather than a business. You know, and, and then there's others where it's, you know, a small business and it's more about family and it's, it's making sure you have food on the table and then you have more scalable, like the likes of Facebook and Google that they think can, they're looking at global, you know, and even that Instagram. And then you have, especially apps. Now, I, I don't know a lot about apps because I don't really have that IT basis. But, you know, that seems to be a great market in terms of you can flip it and sell it. You can come up with something and create something that can be bought out. And sure, maybe we'll find something in the next day or two and Jay will be selling it in a few years and you'll, it'll, I'll be multi-millionaire Mr. Tommy Mead. Um, and I won't be doing this podcast because sure, why would I be doing it? Or maybe I would be doing this podcast because it costs no money. Um, so I'll just be a hobby. And then you have your your large companies who have all their resources. So they're not really entrepreneur or whatever. But um, but that social aspect as well, you know, doing good for the environment. That also seems, especially what is your consumer, you know. And and you need to be able to find, you know, what's the facts? What's, what's the current situation? And before you start thinking of, oh, Janie, looking for the negatives. Yeah, you need to be positive. And I don't know if you ever watched Shark Tank. And there's this woman called Barbara. And she was saying, you know, the greatest thing an entrepreneur can have is ignorance. Because they're just going to do it. And that seems to be a big thing. And even, even Eric Rice that wrote the book Lean Startup. And I remember someone wrote in a question to him. And he said, uh, what if you don't have an idea but you want to be an entrepreneur? And Eric went... Well, why are you asking that question? You obviously have an idea. If you're interested in entrepreneurship, you just think your idea is too small or too stupid. Or you d- you just don't want to say it out loud. And what he said to him was, you just make yourself a deadline and in which stage you make a prototype and just test it out and see what people think about it. You know, may- maybe these stupid ideas work. Anyhow, we'll, well, we'll fill you in next week on the whole shebang and see how we're getting on. And I'll see you next week. So I'm Tommy Mead from County Mead and this is the Farmer and Smurfit podcast.